let's just get into the questions. Uh, I understand you were a student at John Hopkins. What was your experience with systematic racism and how did you combat that? Um, yes, I, I uh, started at Johns Hopkins as an undergraduate at Johns Hopkins in uh, 1989 and the fall of 1989. And I went to Hopkins because I wanted to go to the best school in the area. And I felt like Hopkins was the best school uh, mm -hmm. in the area. And at first, everything seemed great. And uh, by the time my second semester came around, um, I noticed that um, the students were starting to treat, the white students were starting to treat black students differently than they had in the first semester, they weren't as friendly. Um, I also noticed that um, it seemed to be exceedingly hard for African-American students to kind of get a foothold in how things worked at Hopkins. Uh, we were constantly followed by the uh, members of the security uh, force at Hopkins, questioned as to why we were on campus, asked to show our ID, asked to leave the gym, delayed admittance into buildings, including the library. Um, and, you know, it kind of came to a head when one year the university held or put forward a Black History Month display. It was the only Black History Month uh, celebration. And they put forward a display in the library, which is a display case with some documents and artifacts from a white family that had decided to free the Black people that they had enslaved. And we brought up with first the library personnel and then the administration, um, the fact that this was an inappropriate um, observation of Black History Month. Black history is not about what white people do to black people, but it is about um, the um, historical, cultural, um, and professional, and social and personal expressions of black people what we accomplish, um, what happened as a result of our own agency. Um, and they didn't want to hear anything that we had to say. They told us it was appropriate, it was fitting, and we should be happy that there was a Black History Month display. And when the university refused to, to remove the display, we held a sit-in uh, at the library uh, and eventually the university came to see things the way that uh, we saw them. Um, but, you know, there were uh, struggles throughout my time at Hopkins. Um, you know, we uh, also developed a document called the 16 points, which evolved into the 16 demands when we were dismissed by the university, um, when we presented these points that we wanted them to address. And they included providing living wages for um, all of the uh, people who work at the university and access to all the university facilities, the uh, people who worked in housekeeping and food service and other auxiliary um, support roles did not have tuition remission. They did not have access to the library and they faced many of the same discriminatory practices that the students faced. And this is in the late 80s and early 90s. And 
uh, as a result of that, um, you know, we decided that we were going to stand in solidarity with the other Black people on the campus, but also Black people in the community around the school. Um, we called for uh, Hopkins to stop being an ivory tower isolated uh, or an island in a community of Black people and they engaged more, called for uh, the creation of a Black Studies Department. Uh, and the provost of the university at the time, a man named Cooper told us in a small group meeting with the president of the university that uh, if the university had a Black Studies Department, it would be an academic ghetto. And we were just confounded as to how he could form his lips to say that. Uh, how the president of the university took no objection to him saying that, and how they, essentially what they said was that uh, a black studies department wouldn't have the respect or the resources or the quality personnel, and therefore it would not be a uh, department that was on par with other departments in the university. But how could that be if they put their full weight and strength and investment behind uh, a Black Studies Department. Now, since that time, um, you know, we have seen uh, a, a number of developments. Another one of our points was about Black student retention and creating a pipeline for Black students to, to come to Hopkins. Now, any student from a Baltimore City Public School that gets into Hopkins, I believe, gets a free ride um, or gets full scholarship, I should say. Um, I think uh, now there uh, are a number of departments that are geared at uh, studying aspects of African uh, world history, culture, and life, um, you know, both that of uh, Black people here in the States, but also around the world. Um, and so there have been a number of, of changes. We've also seen, though, that there's still challenges. I mean, white supremacy is a, it is probably the, the, the number one Thing that limits humanity in our full development and uh, you know arriving at world peace, arriving at uh, environmental sustainability, and arriving at, at democracy. And so we saw all those things in, in the university space, and um, I, along with with many classmates, challenged those uh, ways that white supremacy showed up on campus. And today we continue to challenge white supremacy uh, or those who hold white supremacist notions. All right, thank you. I have a question for you. Could you go more in, in detail about your role in environmental sustainability? Um, <clears throat> you know, the environment is, has always been important to me. Um, I've always loved to be a part of nature but um, as a teenager and as a college student, um, I became aware of the connection uh, between the fight for civil rights and human rights and uh, environmental issues. Um, and what that often meant was that the environmental issues were in the places where black people lived uh, as a result of segregation uh, as a result of racism and white supremacy. And so I began to, uh, you know, learn about the work of people like uh, Dr. Ben Chavis, uh, the late Damu Smith, 
and the late Connie Tucker, who were all black freedom fighters who were fighting for uh, civil rights and human rights uh, for black people, uh, for justice for black people, and who saw the connection between um, the poor environmental con conditions that led to uh, you know, high levels of lead exposure uh, for black children, uh, poor quality, uh, poor air quality for, for black uh, neighborhoods and communities, dumping, uh, toxic dumping in black communities. And so uh, that kind of uh, sparked my interest and my awareness and knowing that uh, environmental uh, racism was, was part of the fight against uh, racism and that we had to fight for environmental and climate justice. And uh, even until today, uh, we continue to advocate for, uh, for climate justice and, and for an end to environmental racism through uh, the Baltimore NAACP. And one of the things that I have been telling companies as of late over the last couple of years is that the green economy, the economy that's based on um, improving the environment, the economy that's based on creating uh, sustainability, so solar power, wind power, electric cars, and uh, all of those ways of, of powering our lives that don't include fossil fuel, fuels, but uh, do include renewables. The green economy is a new economy. It's a new way of doing things. And we have to be intentional about making sure that we don't incorporate old ways of doing things. Uh, we don't incorporate white supremacy. We don't incorporate um, exclusion. We don't incorporate discrimination into this new economy. So what does that look like? That looks like uh, in a green economy, um, black people and other people of color have to have uh, their fair share of the profits, their fair share of the uh, jobs, their fair share of the opportunities to do business with other uh, companies in the green economy. And it's not enough uh, for uh, companies to say, we tried, but we couldn't find any qualified people. No, you have to be intentional. So just like uh, you identify uh, the, the challenges in the market for any, any business, one of the challenges that you identify is making sure that there is equity in the green economy, which means that uh, there are plenty of opportunities for returning citizens, for Black people who have been uh, incarcerated as a result of an, in, uh, you know, an unjust system. In Maryland, 77% uh, of the people who are incarcerated in Maryland are, 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 are people of African descent. We make up about 30% of the population of the state. And so that means that for years, this state has been taking um, the black people who could be uh, productive workers and competition in the workforce and in the uh, entrepreneurial space and incarcerating them and, and using those black bodies to fuel the, uh, the, the carceral state. Uh, and now we're saying that one, we have to put an end to um, mass incarceration of black people, but two, for all those people who are uh, survivors of the carceral state, all of those people who are returning, we have to equip them with the skills to participate 
in a green economy. And we have to demand that uh, the companies that come into our communities saying that they want to do what's right for the environment, they also have to do what's right for black people. And so that's uh, part of the advocacy that, we're, that we are, are doing now. You know, it is shameful that uh, so much money is being spent uh, on a space race to colonize space, to commercialize space, and to militarize space. And we still haven't resolved uh, some fundamental issues here on Earth. How to work well with each other, how to treat every human being with dignity and respect, how to regard our environment in a way that uh, strengthens it and uh, makes sure that it is uh, healthy and strong for many generations to come. So all of that is part of the advocacy work that we do uh, in the NAACP and you know beyond the NAACP. Thank you. Um... What was your experience with net in networking um, in regards to being a public advocate and getting to the point in which you are now? So I didn't hear all of your question. You said, what was my experience in regards to? Networking. Networking. And well, what I would, yeah, what I would say about networking is that so much of what we do um, and you know how we learn, how we live, how we build, how we uh, do work, how we uh, build our economy. So much of it is related to relationships. And <clears throat> uh, today, uh, you know, 25 years or more after I've graduated from college, more than 25 years, you know, more than 30 years since I graduated from high school, I am still uh, working with people that I developed relationships with then. And, um, you know, it's so important for us to be connected. One of the, the tragedies that was revealed by the pandemic is that we are not connected within our own black communities in the ways that we need to, to keep ourselves safe, to heal ourselves and to uh, strengthen ourselves so that we can succeed. And so it's important both on an individual level uh, to, network and to build relationships. I'm telling my own children all the time, take the time to shake a speaker's hand, take the time to uh, get someone's contact information because the people that you meet today, they're not going anywhere. Your paths will cross over and over and over and again. And the relationships that you build today can help you build a foundation for career success. So I encourage, um, young people to reach out to people who uh, have been where they are and, and, to, and with people who are going where they wanna go, um, regardless of how old they are, build those relationships, um, find mentors, reach to other people younger than you who you can mentor and um, see uh, networking as an opportunity to build relationships. It's not an opportunity to just prove that you know people who are accomplished. It's an opportunity to get to know people. It's an opportunity to build a relationship that has a two-way flow. Um, I am uh, fortunate. When I started in this, uh, in this uh, work of activism, I was often the youngest or among the youngest people. 
who were engaged, you know, on the forefront of the struggle. And I'm no longer one of the youngest people. I won't say I'm one of the oldest, but I'm no longer one of the youngest. But I have been uh, blessed very much by um, the opportunity to work with people who are younger than I am, um, who bring fresh ideas, who bring new energy, who bring um, diverse perspectives to the work. So it's important to reach out and network uh, for the sake of building relationships. Those relationships um, make our communities richer and stronger, and we all benefit from them. Thank you. Thank you. What matters most to you regarding the social, economic, political, and cultural developments of this nation for future generations or for your family? Um, what matters most to me? I think there's two things that uh, matter to me. Uh, the first is that we must uh, work to strengthen Black people and Black communities so that we are self-determining. Self-determination for people of African descent in the United States and people of African descent uh, all around the world, whether it's the continent or uh, the islands or South America or Europe, Asia, um, all over the world, uh, it is time for, for self-determination for Black people. And with that self-determination, my hope is that we create uh, just uh, societies and just practices that um, lift all of our people and that uh, we don't use self-determination to replicate models of white supremacy. The other thing that uh, is, is, is extremely important to me um, is to create a just world in partnership with other global citizens who believe that um, we must live in a world where policy is driven by the needs of the most vulnerable first. And so that is to say that if we take care of the most vulnerable, we take care of those who are weakest, whether it is because they're children or because they are elders or because they are experiencing economic uh, insecurity. If we place the needs of the vulnerable first, then we will always be a, a strong, and healthy planet. We will always be um, people who are driven by love and who show up in loving ways with one another. And um, I, you know, you ask for one, but I carry that duality because I think it's important as a person of African descent, as an African American, as a Pan-Africanist, to be committed to the elevation and the security and the success of our people. But I also recognize that we live in a planet of many people and all of us have to live together in harmony if we are going to have a future for, for generations to come. And I believe the way that we can all show up as global citizens is to be advocates for justice and um, generally we see injustice when the powerful take advantage of the vulnerable. And 
um, you know, whatever situation that we're in, we ought to be looking to see um, who are the vulnerable in this equation and how can we protect, strengthen, and empower those who are vulnerable. Sometimes we will find ourselves in that vulnerable group. And sometimes it will be other people who are in that vulnerable group. But we ought not to, to bully or abuse or brutalize those who are vulnerable. We ought to be strengthening them, supporting them, respecting them. And so much of what we've seen uh, in the history of, of the world is uh, manipulation and exploitation of those who are vulnerable. We certainly have seen it uh, you know, through this pandemic um, policies, you know, that have been made um, with the powerful in mind. Space exploration is not about the vulnerable. It is about the egos of people who are wealthy and powerful. Um, I'm not against space exploration uh, on the face of it, but when you put space exploration <clears throat> in context and you see that uh, space exploration is, is beginning to take on the uh, paradigm of, of uh, colonization. We know that's not a good thing because we've, we, we, we've seen what exploitative uh, colonial models produce, whether it's here in, in, in the Americas or in Africa or in Asia. And it's time for us to shift from a model of exploitation and extraction to a model of, uh, of inclusion and, and, and unity and democracy. We need inclusive economics. We need um, economic security for all. We need economic development that doesn't come at the expense of others. And we need democracy. We need the voice of all people to be heard. And I, you know, we will abide by the, the will of the majority, but uh, there can't ever be, there can't ever continue to be a situation where the powerful, despite uh, their uh, small numbers, uh, dictate how the rest of humanity lives. Thank you. Thank you. Um, where do you see Baltimore in five years? Uh, or where do you want to see it also in connection to inclusion and standing up for like the little guy and stuff like that? Where do I see Baltimore in five years? Where do I want to see it? And then the last two things you said, I didn't hear you. In response to inclusion? Mm -hmm. Well, Certainly in Baltimore, we want to see an inclusive economy. You know, uh, Baltimore has um, experienced um, population loss uh, that has uh, followed, um, you know, an underdevelopment. Um, we've lost uh, sectors of the economy. Um, and in five years, I want to see uh, Baltimore on the path to um, inclusive economic development, economic development that causes uh, all Baltimoreans to uh, benefit from um, economic growth in meaningful ways. 
an economic development that uh, prevents gentrification, but uh, results in um, the creation of wealth in black communities and other communities that have historically in Baltimore and across this country been shut out of uh, wealth creation. Um, we need to see uh, a city uh, where black people are uh, um, <clears throat> participating in uh, the supply chain and then as entrepreneurs and as business people and the numbers reflected by um, our demographic data. Um, I would like to see in five years a Baltimore where the uh, government's purchasing meets not just the MBE uh, set-asides, but is actually reflective. If the city is 67% Black, who can justify any, any less than 67% of the city's business going to Black businesses? And if that means that we have to make investments um, to prepare businesses uh, to do that level of, of, of activity, then let's get started doing that. In five years, I want to see a Baltimore where um, the young men and women in Baltimore are not being um, shipped off in disproportionate numbers to correctional facilities. In five years, I would like to see us well on the path to a Baltimore where the public school system is preparing young people to um, engage successfully on the global stage, uh, you know, where we have uh, school buildings and, uh, that are first class. I'd like to see um, a government and a uh, school system administration, teachers who are driven by love and who believe in the transformative power of education. Um, in five years, I'd like to see a Baltimore where we have deconstructed the violence ecosystem and we have nurtured a, an ecology of peace um, where we uh, all know uh, and are empowered to resolve conflicts without violence, where we regard um, our fellow Baltimoreans with, with love and with, with, with dignity. Um, I'd like to see a, a, a black Baltimore that is a model for black self-determination uh, around this country and, and, and around the world. I'd like to see a Baltimore that um, is inclusive, uh, a Baltimore where people of um, sundry ethnicities live together in harmony. Um, I'd like to see us do better than we're doing now. Yes, thank you. Uh, I'm afraid this is all the time that uh, we have for today, but this was an amazing interview. I learned a lot from you about Baltimore and even about stuff that I would like to see in my own community of Washington, D.C. I thank you, Reverend Little, for uh, taking the time of your day to come talk to me, and I hope you have a good rest of your day. Okay, well, I thank you so much for your great questions and for your interest. And, um, you know, I want to invite you all, if 
we need to clarify something or if the video doesn't come out, you look at it and you see that, you know, it was buffering for too long. Call me back and we'll we'll uh, we'll we'll do another interview or we'll we'll pick up where we left off. Tell me what 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 track are you on at at, at Banneker? What are, what's your your study track? I was on an IB track, but I have decided recently to switch to AP as I felt that it was better for me generally and to get into the college that I am aiming to get into and attain the major that I want to. Um, I would have appreciated the rigorous workload that it does come from IB, but I know myself and I know that AP would be better for me academically. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what do you think you want to study when you go to college? Um, I am planning on studying computer science, um, undergrad. I would like to become a cybercrime lawyer, which is a lawyer that bases in cyber-related crimes. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, I, I believe that you have um, every ability to, to, to be successful in your AP courses and then uh, in college as a computer scientist. And uh, I will be excited to, to hear how you parlay your work as a computer scientist into, into the law. Um, it's an important, it's certainly an important uh, uh, field that, that, uh, that you are pursuing. My daughter just started law school at Howard Law. Um, there, yeah. Banneker is awfully close to How, uh, Howard. Okay, great, great. And you didn't know this, but I actually grew up in D.C. as well. I went to high school here in Baltimore, but before that, I, I went to school in D.C. and I lived uh, just down the street from, I lived on Harvard Street, just down the street from, from Banneker. Um, and I have great, great memories of uh, swimming at the pool there. And uh, well, I wish you the best. And to the brother who was on the call recording, I saw one other person, but I see there's a fourth person, Brother Nicholas. Good afternoon, good evening to you as well. And I'm assuming that maybe this is Bree uh, with the Urban League. I look forward to seeing the end product. I hope you guys have a, a great evening. Thank you. You as well.